D-backs take three out of four against the Chicago Cubs, so let's discuss. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas here, host of the Locked On Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. I'm there to see my latest work. From my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just please follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. Or just look up Lockdown Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. And today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now, let's talk about that series, D-backs versus the Chicago Cubs, because D-backs get their revenge against Chicago Cubs. They take three out of four. Of course, the D-backs have been scuffling recently. They were on a six-game losing streak, but they were able to right their wrongs uh, in this series against the Cubs. They lost four straight against the Dodgers, and then before that, they lost two out of three against the Cubs. So it was nice to see the D-backs get their revenge in this series. And we got a little bit of everything in this series because it was a very entertaining series by the D-backs. We got to see... A lot of great offense by the D-backs in this series the whole weekend. I mean, the D-backs smashed nine home runs in the last three games, and they just weren't doing the long ball. 30 hits total in the last three games by this D-backs offense. They were finally unleashed, uncorked. Use whatever adjective you want to use in that ad lib because the D-backs offense was on fire the last three games. The starting pitching, it was it was serviceable. It was solid. It was good enough to it was good enough to keep us in these ball games. Of course, Merrill Kelly goes five innings. We got Bumgarner yesterday going seven. Castellanos pitching into the six on Friday. So we got good enough starts from our rotation to keep us in the ball games. And then the bullpen. Most of the bullpen did their job this series, but overall, I think the bullpen did struggle in the last three games, but I think it was just mostly mass by the offense because the offense was able to do so much damage that the bullpen really didn't have to do much. So when the bullpen did give up an earned run or two, it did not matter except for Sunday's game because the D-backs showed a lot of resilience this series, specifically the last two games, Saturday and Sunday, because I think they were both pretty Similar to each other, both of them have their starters kind of give up the lead early Saturday. The D-backs go down four runs early. In Sunday's game, the D-backs go down three runs early. Merrill Kelly, five innings, three earned runs. Not the best Merrill Kelly start that we've seen. I mean, over the last three starts, including Sunday, Merrill Kelly just hasn't been as locked in as he was to begin the season. Now his ERA is over a three, which is pretty surprising considering like over a week ago before that start against the Dodgers, he was like leading baseball in ERA. And now he has an ERA above three. So you don't like to see that. D-backs go down Three runs early because Merrill Kelly gives up a bases-clearing triple in the second inning. He's able to settle down a little bit from that, but the Cubs just were so patient on Sunday. They really worked Merrill Kelly. Merrill Kelly throws over 90 pitches in just five innings, but it's okay because, as I said, the D-backs showed a lot of resilience 
this weekend. They were down four runs on Saturday. They were able to come back in that game because Madison Bumgarner settled down after giving up four earned runs. He goes seven innings, and the offense was able to come back, score four runs, courtesy of Dalton Varsho getting a big hit in that eighth inning. Pavin Smith started off the inning with a home run, so we got to see some eighth inning magic on Saturday. It didn't happen in the eighth inning on Sunday's game, but we did get some sixth inning magic on Sunday. The D-backs were able to tie it up in that sixth inning, get all three runs back. Then they took the lead, actually, in the seventh inning. I'm like, wow, again, the Cubs just blowing it late. And Saturday, the Cubs started to blow the game once they took their starting pitcher out, Justin Steele, who was absolutely working the D-backs lineup on Sunday. They didn't have to wait for the bullpen. That third time through the rotation against Wade Miley, the D-backs lineup was really able to lock in, and they were able to get three runs off Miley in that sixth, and then they were able to tack off another run in that seventh inning. And I felt like the D-backs had a real chance to win Sunday's game, but you know, you knew, not no, you knew they needed at least one to two more runs, like a one-run game, and putting that ball in the hands of the bullpen, that is always a dicey situation. I thought it was going to get real dicey when Caleb Smith came into the game after Merrill Kelly. I was like, Caleb Smith, there's no way this guy, um, there's no way this guy, you know, takes us to the end of the ball game. And he actually walks three guys, I think, in that seventh inning. And somehow he's able to escape. Somehow he's able to hang on. We get Wendell Kent after Caleb Smith, like the two sketches guys out the bullpen. Maybe not, like pretty much any guy not named Mantiply is pretty sketch out the D-backs bullpen. And Wendelkin somehow survives, Kale Smith somehow survives, but it all goes to garbage, I guess, once Ian Kennedy comes in, because usually Mark Melanson is the number one culprit to blow a ball game for us, but number two on that list might be Ian Kennedy, who, despite having an ERA below three entering Sunday's game, it never felt like his ERA was below three when you watch him. Like, um, Even though his ERA was below three, it's not like I have the trust in him of a guy with an ERA below three, if that makes sense. Even though his ERA was like a 2.9 entering Sunday's game, do I had did I have the trust in Ian Kendi to pitch like a guy with a 2.9 ERA? No, I don't. I don't trust Ian Kendi in high leverage moments, despite having some really good traditional stats, and it proved out in Sunday's game because the only time his ERA was below three, he was like, "Hey, let me raise that ERA a little bit for you guys," and he gives up back-to-back home runs in that eighth inning. Usually, usually it's the D-backs with eighth inning magic, but on Sunday, it was the Chicago Cubs with eighth inning magic. Kendi gives up the back-to-back bombs, and the D-backs go down, and they're not able to come back because after the D-backs give up back-to-back bombs, I mean, it felt like the game was lost. It didn't feel like the D-backs offense was going to come back once they were down one run entering the ninth. If it was a tie game like it was Saturday where it was 4-4 again, yeah, I think the D-backs had a great chance to win that game in extra innings. I think they would have won that game in extra innings, but because the D-backs take the... Because the D-backs went down and were in a deficit entering the ninth, I just felt like the game just deflated so much in terms of emotion, and it just felt like the energy left so quickly because you were up, then all of a sudden you're down, and there's all of a sudden just like 20 minutes left. It's all of a sudden the ninth inning, and the game is on the line. I think everything just happened so quickly for the D-backs. I think if Ian Kennedy gives up those back-to-back runs in like the sixth or seventh inning, it feels a lot differently, but because it's right at the end of the game, your back is all of a sudden against the wall and you have no time to come back you got your bottom three hitters in the lineup coming up to bat in that ninth inning as well capped off by drew ellis so i just think ian kennedy giving up back-to-back home runs in that situation just deflated the game so much emotions energy and i think 
more than anything, that's why the D-backs lost that game specifically. I think if it was a 4-4 game and Ian Kenny only gives up one home run, I think the D-backs could have came back in extra innings. But I think that second home run was the dagger shot for the Chicago Cubs because we saw the D-backs come back from the four-run deficit Saturday. They tied it up 4-4. Dalton Varsho with the, I think he hits the, he hits the single that scores too. He tries to turn it into a double, but he gets thrown out, stretching it out to second, but he's able to make up for it in the 10th inning Saturday with the bases clearing, basically almost an inside-the-park home run. I think they give uh, an error probably to the outfielder because he probably should have stopped that third base, but I mean, it looked like it was going to be a three-run bomb for Dalton Varsho. It's off the wall. He ends up scoring anyway on that play, and so we get the Dalton Varsho magic on Saturday after being down four runs. We tied up 4-4. We win it in extra innings and it felt like we had a chance to do it against Sunday we were down three runs we end up going one run the Cubs tie it up then they take the lead and it's like man the D-backs had a chance to win both games after being tied four to four but unfortunately Ian Kendi blows it on Sunday but overall it was still a great series and now the D-backs you hope that they keep their momentum going because now they're going to have a two-game series against the Kansas City Royals before playing the LA Dodgers again so you got to build off this momentum get a two-game sweep against the Kansas City Royals go one game above 500 and then this way if you lose two out of three against the LA Dodgers it doesn't look too bad Overall, in the standings, you'll still be a 500 baseball team. And if you're the D-backs, you would take 500 baseball, what, as we get pretty close to entering May, or excuse me, entering June. The D-backs are a 500 team entering June. I think you're pretty happy with that as a D-backs fan. I think this season is already off to a better start than a lot of people probably uh, anticipated. Personally, I thought the D-backs were going to be slightly competitive this season. Like I said, I would have taken the over on their season win totals. I had them winning between 73 and 75 games. So I thought they were going to be borderline competitive this season. But so far, the D-backs have been playing even better baseball than probably what I would have predicted. So let's hope they can build off the momentum from the Chicago Cubs series. Keep it going against the Kansas City Royals. Take the momentum from both those series and hopefully they can do better than winning just one game against the LA Dodgers because we've already seen the D-backs win one series this season against the LA Dodgers. So hopefully the D-backs can get their second series win against the LA Dodgers this week. And to do that, the D-backs are going to need a big boost. And the best place to get a boost is Built Bar because if you haven't tried Built Bar, they're absolutely delicious. I mean, they're low calorie, they're low sugar, high protein, high fiber. They're great for the keto diet. If you want your own Built Bar, just go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 because right now, Built Bar has these things called Puff Bars, which are absolutely delicious because they're protein infused, they're marshmallow inf infused. Right now, they got this flavor called Brownie Batter, which is just absolutely freaking delicious. Just go to Built.com, as I said. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast. And on Friday's pod, we did a little thing. Five things to watch or keep your eye on as the D-backs enter this weekend series against the Chicago Cubs. So let's talk about those five things. And if the D-backs actually hit on the five things we mentioned, the things we were looking out for, did they materialize in this series? So let's actually talk about it. And one of the things I was keeping my eye out for is can the D-backs 
get length out of their rotation. And I would like to say that they were actually able to do that in the last three games. Now, Merrill Kelly was only able to go five innings on Sunday. He threw 93 pitches, so he really didn't get the length out of Merrill Kelly, who, as I mentioned, his ERA really went up. Excuse me, after Sunday's game, his ERA is now a 3-4-9 on the season. Mad Bum's ERA is a 2-7-6, which is uh, surprising if you could believe that. I wouldn't have thought this far into the season that Mad Bum would have a significantly lower ERA than Merrill Kelly, considering how Merrill Kelly looked in those first five, six starts. All of a sudden, Mad Bum has a better ERA. I find it kind of surprising, but not really considering the last three starts from both of them. Because Merrill Kelly, over his last three starts, the last 12 innings pitch for Merrill Kelly, 14 earned runs for Kelly. So he has been getting shelled recently. And it seems to really be his cutter that seems to be given up the most damage. The most damage on Sunday was given up by the cutter. So I think that's the pitch, which is his typical go-to pitch. Seems to be, you know, seems that the opponents are starting to lock in on that. So maybe he has to change up his sequencing just a little bit because also for Mad Bum on Saturday, um, the cutter was probably the biggest issue for him as well. So maybe it's more of a Chicago Cubs thing because I think they both I think the Cubs locked in on the cutter for both Madison Bumgarner and Merrill Kelly this weekend, but at least you did get seven strong innings. Maybe not strong, but solid innings out of Mad Bum on Saturday because I wasn't confident in Mad Bum going deep in Saturday's game even before the game started. I mean, I think I made a, a comment on Friday about how I wasn't too confident in Castellanos and Mad Bum both going deep into their starts, you know, in the next two games. I felt like maybe one of them could go six innings, but didn't feel like both of them would. And they both at least pitched into the sixth inning. Mad Bum goes seven innings. And it didn't feel like that with the, how the game started because Mad Bum gives up back-to-back bombs in the second inning. Then he gives up two runs after two outs in the third inning. And it's just like, there's no way Madison Bumgarner is even going out there for the fourth. I didn't think Madison Bumgarner was going to go out there for the fifth. Somehow, every time I looked up, when I was watching the game, it was Madison Bumgarner again out there on the mound for another inning, and I was surprised. And by the time he wrapped up the seventh, I was like, "Man, was that actually an impressive and good start, Madison by uh, by Madison Bumgarner?" I think by the end of the start, I was like, "Wow, that was actually a good start by Madison Bumgarner," because it didn't feel like that. You know, it didn't feel that way the third or fourth inning. It felt like Madison Bumgarner is really laboring through the game and didn't feel like it was going to go deep into the ball game. And I felt like it was going to be a bigger implosion than what it was. But considering he went seven, gave up four earned runs, not too bad of a day for Mad Bum. I think he ends up retiring the last 13 batters he faced. I mean, he was really efficient through the game. That's why he was able to go seven because even though it was like the fourth inning or the fifth inning and he had four earned runs already given up, I looked up, it was like, Five innings pitch, only 60 pitches thrown. It was like, Mad Bum's really efficient in this game, so that's why he was able to go seven innings, even though it wasn't the the, the crispest Madison Bumgarner we've seen. And then Castellanos, he pitched into the six on Friday, despite giving up two home runs, but the offense was so good on Friday that Toy Lovello was able, Toy Lovello was able to give Castellanos a longer leash than probably he usually has just because you weren't worried if he put a couple extra people on the bases just because the lead was so large you didn't feel like the D-backs were going to blow that one I still feel like extra base hits and long balls were a concern this weekend because Castellanos uh, Mad Bum 
Merrill Kelly, they all give up. They all gave up a, a, an extra base hit or a home run this weekend. So you still don't like to see that. It still felt like you got too much of that from the rotation this weekend. But at least, at least you did get pretty decent length out of Castellanos and Mad Bum in Friday and Saturday start, respectively, even though. Um, Merrill Kelly was only able to go five innings on Sunday. And then another thing I was looking out for during this weekend series was how big of a headache was the bullpen going to give me? Was I going to have to take, you know, ibuprofen? Was I going to have to dip into the medicine cabinet? That was a question we had on Friday. And the bullpen, I think, did struggle. But because, like I said earlier, the offense was so good, it wasn't like the bullpen had to go out there and have shutdown innings. I mean, a lot of the times the D-backs were up two to three runs, so it didn't really matter because Mark Melanson tried his best on Saturday to blow the game. I mean, he allowed the ghost runner to score in the 10th inning, but the D-backs were, were already up three runs entering the 10th inning. So allowing that ghost runner to score, I mean, it didn't really matter. He was probably going to score anyway. I wasn't too upset about that. It doesn't even count against your ERA. So I wasn't really mad that the ghost runner scored. But then Mark Melanson gives up a two-out double, and that scores another run. And then all of a sudden, it's a one-run game. There's a man on second. You're like, is Madison Bumgarner... Not Madison Bumgarner. Is Mark Melanson going to blow another game in the ninth inning? This time it was the 10th inning. And thankfully, Mark Melanson did not blow it. He was able to get out of the inning. The D-backs pick up the win. But it was just another stressful, stressful outing by Mark Melanson. And if you're wondering, why do the D-backs keep trotting Mark Melanson out there and save opportunities? It's because he's 9 for 10 in save opportunities. He's a 90% success rate in save opportunities. Even though it looks ugly and it looks nasty most of the time, most of the time he converts to save opportunities. So that's the real, that's the only answer why Mark Melanson keeps going out there in the save. And that's only reason why Mark Melanson keeps going out there for safe opportunities. And then in Sunday's game, Ian Kendi did implode because maybe he shouldn't have gone out there for his fourth appearance in five days, but he did. He gives up back-to-back home runs, and he's probably the main reason why the D-backs lost Sunday's game. Friday's game, I don't think the bullpen was too great either, but because they just absolutely bombed the Chicago Cubs, it did not matter. I would rather see Ian Kendi and Mark Melanson become the seventh inning guys, the high leverage guys in you know in the in the middle innings maybe be the guy that comes in the sixth inning when your starter only goes five innings because a guy like Ian Kendi he could give you some length he used to be a starter back in his day so a day like today where Merrill Kelly only goes five maybe you put Ian Kendi out there for the sixth and seventh inning you know if he doesn't give up back-to-back home runs but the D-backs did and those two always seem to be the the two kryptonites in this bullpen of course like the Wendelkins have been perfect the Caleb Smith's the Caleb Smiths of the world aren't perfect either, but Mark Melanson and Ian Kendi are supposed to be the two shutdown guys in the back end of the bullpen. They just have not been that so far this season. I think Ian Kendi, I think opponents are batting like 280 off Ian Kendi this season. I think it's over 300 against Mark Melanson. So I would rather see Mantiply and Kyle Nelson be the eighth and ninth inning guys, but that's not going to happen. They don't have the track record that the Kennedys than the Mark Melanson does. They don't have the pedigree and they also don't have the investment. Like uh, they also don't have the investment because, you know, Mike Hazen did pay a nice little contract to Mark Melanson this offseason. So I think there's a greater need for those guys to work out than a man supply or Kyle Nelson in the back end of the bullpen. So I don't think we're going to see Melanson or Kennedy come out in the eighth or ninth inning, you know, come out of their roles as the eighth or ninth inning guys for a while. I think they really have to keep screwing up for another month, month and a half before there's any hard changes in the back end of the bullpen. I think they're going to keep 
steering this ship with those two guys in the back in the bullpen. And it's going to be stressful. Some days it's going to be like the Titanic and they're going to hit the iceberg. And some days they're going to have a successful mission and able to, uh, you know, complete their voyage. That's all I got from my uh, shipping reference and analogy. So let's hope the D-backs bullpen is able to figure out something. Maybe they're buyers at the deadline. The D-backs are Mike Hazen. Maybe they go out there and acquire a reliever. They did acquire some guy named Paul Fry, I think, the other day from the Baltimore Orioles. We'll see if he gets called up soon to make an appearance or whatever. So we'll see if that helps out the D-backs bullpen. I mean, they've been pretty good with these waiver wire fringe rotation guys you know fringe roster guys in the past with the newer Ramirez's and the Mantiply so maybe Paul Fry can be another one because the D-backs desperately need help in the back end of their bullpen and I'm hoping I'm hoping that the bullpen doesn't become an issue against the Kansas City Royals because that would be absolutely disgusting if the D-backs lost a game because of the bullpen against the Royals now we're going to talk about three other things I was on the lookout for as the D-backs entered this weekend series against the Chicago Cubs, and we'll see if it materialized. But first, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen. For your next listen, check out the Locked on Now podcast, recaps of MLB games with analysis from our local experts, taking fans through the season like no other network, free and available wherever you get your podcast. Now, let's discuss the three other things that I was watching out for as the D-backs entered this weekend series. And the first one I want to discuss is, I was looking out for, can one of these three players break out? Josh Rojas, David Peralta, or Paven Smith. One of these three players need to get going at the plate. And the funny thing is, all three of them got going at the plate because Josh Rojas, he left Saturday's game with a hand contusion after getting hit by a pitch. Um, he hurt his hand, so hopefully he doesn't have to go on the injured list because Rojas went bananas on Friday night with three bombs and three plate appearances. He looked crazy at the plate. I mean, I don't I don't know what words I can use. I don't know other ways to describe it. I mean, he went bananas. He was on fire Friday night. Give him the little fire badge like you do in 2K because he was on fire. I'm sure the show has it as well. So great job by Rojas on Friday. Wish we got to see him the rest of the series. David Peralta was backing up Rojas in that game and he had two home runs as well that day. David Peralta also went one for three with two walks on Saturday. Then Paven Smith had a huge Pinch hit home run on Saturday to get the Magic started in the eighth inning. He also went two for four with the RBI on Sunday. And so when you look at all these three players, all three of them had a breakout weekend. All three of them put in work this weekend. Rojas, he didn't hit a home run the whole season. He had yet to hit a home run before this weekend, before Friday. And it was one of the things I really want to see. I said, let's get Josh Rojas his first home run this weekend. I said that on Friday's pod and in Friday's game, Josh Rojas didn't hit one home run. He didn't hit two home runs. He hit three home runs. It was one of the best games in D-backs franchise history. If he hit one home run, one more home run, he would have tied the franchise record with J.D. Martinez for four home runs in a game. I think overall, I think I think Josh Rojas had like over 1,200 yards of home runs in his three at-bats. So he was an absolute mammoth in Friday's game. And those three... Those three are like three supporting players to this lineup, Haven, Peralta, and Rojas. They're not three star players. 
freight train back in the day could be an all-star level player but those three right now are more three supporting players in the lineup and you're going to need your supporting players to step up you need supporting players to you know really be the glue guy really be the glue guys in a batting order and you can't just put everything on Marte, Varsho, Walker, and Thomas. Those guys can't do it all. You need your supporting players to step up. Those are the guys that win championships, win playoff series, get you to the playoffs. And so to see Peralta, Pavin, and uh, Rojas step up, I mean, it's no surprise that the offense looked incredible when those three all of a sudden started to put in work to complement the stars in the lineup. So when your supporting pieces are complementing your stars, this is what happens. And the D-backs offense, nine home runs, 30 hits in the last three games. That's what happens when your supporting players step up. Another thing I was watching out for, will Alec Thomas finally move up in the lineup? Of course, the answer is no. He still looked incredible at the bottom of the lineup because he was batting seventh or eighth every day, and he did get a home run in Friday's game. That was very nice to see. I mean, he's just always doing something positive at the plate. He's always putting the ball in play with the chance to beat it out for a single. He never seems to strike out like the man just doesn't have bad plate appearances. I mean, it's usually a lot of ground outs or maybe weak fly balls. If he does uh, get out, it's not uh, it's not a strikeout usually, which I like to see. If you're going to get out, at least put the ball in play and Give, your ch- give yourself a chance to maybe get on base or, or or create an error. Just do something. Striking out is just so demoralizing and frustrating to watch. At least if you do a little ground ball dribbler, maybe you could beat it out. Maybe the guy boots it like we saw what the Dodgers did, Max Muncy did today, to let the Philadelphia Phillies win. So I do like to see Alec Thomas because he's always putting in work, but I would want to see Alec Thomas at the top of the lineup. I want to see Alec Thomas as the leadoff hitter. Because of the skills I mentioned before, because of his ability always to put the ball in play, I just think he'd be the perfect leadoff hitter. Dalton Varsho behind him, then Ketel Marte number three. That is my dream scenario. I just want all my best players clustered together at the top of the lineup. I get what Tori Lavelle is doing. Thomas is doing a great job of lengthening the batting order and doing and doing damage at the bottom of the lineup. I would rather see him do damage at the top of the lineup with Dalton Varsho, Ketel Marte, and Christian Walker. So hopefully... That can happen sooner rather than later. And then the final thing I was watching out for entering the series was who was going to catch. And of course, Dalton Varsho was the main catcher this weekend. He caught two or three games. The only game he didn't catch was Friday where Griner caught Friday's game and started. And he struck out three times. He looked fine behind the plate as a defensive catcher. Varsho was really the star on Saturday with his clutchness in the 8th and 10th inning. He had a great weekend. Griner, don't really have much to say about him. Dalton Varsho was the main catcher this weekend. Definitely need Carson Kelly back soon because I don't want Dalton Varsho as the everyday catcher. Once again, I just think the rotation is better with Carson Kelly. I also think Carson Kelly is slightly better defensively. And I want to see Carson and I want to see Dalton Varsho. And I want to see Dalton Varsho in center field because I think he's our best defensive center fielder as well. Now, that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. We'll definitely have a little crossover with Sully Baseball as we do our Mondays with Miller because I'm going to record with him right after I'm done doing this podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight if I didn't say that already. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!